This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 7, Episode 43. We'll call it the Darren Sproles episode, maybe. I'm John DiCarlo. Alscoop.com editor, joined by a mostly full house this week, Kyle Gauss, Dante Colinelli, Sam Cohn, and Caden Steele. What's going on, guys? We are recording very soon after the NBA went into like a spiral and the free agency hasn't even started. So I think like coming coming off a little bit of a high of like the Kevin Durant news. And that's not even the biggest sports news of the day. Yes. USC and UCLA going to Big Ten is wild. Ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's wild. absurd. I am not looking forward to watching, what is it? It's going to be like Iowa, UCLA at like 1 a.m. Don't worry, because you're only going to have to watch that once every like nine years because they're going to add so many teams to these conferences that it's going to be like, oh, yeah, Penn State plays USC once a decade. Like, yeah. Yeah, like Graham had like a objectively like kind of funny tweet about like how how now James Franklin can actually accurately promise recruits that they'll play in the Rose Bowl because like USC's there. <laughs> but like this? Graham did. But like odds are, depending on the scheduling format, you might not. Well, the Penn State will probably play like once every like eight years. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. It'd be crazy. And we've done, we already did our, our Sam Newman wellness check because his his nets are in shambles. Thank you for completely ignoring the last 60 seconds of conversation. We moved on from Kevin Durant. Uh, <laughs> I, know. I think the way this is going is I just wanted to reach back to say, I think there's going to be for years. People have been saying there's going to be four mega conferences. I think there's going to be two massive mega conferences. And then there's going to be people like temple and the wake forests of the world and the NC States of the world. They're just going to be out here playing their own game. I want them to call it like the big 64. Just, or something. just embrace it. Like, yeah, you know, they, like, didn't, yeah. they didn't change their they didn't change their name this entire time, but now that's wow. more volatile. Like you know what? <laughs> just yeah. constantly, just the big sixty four or whatever it ends up being. <laughs> Kyle just pretty much skipped right ahead to the mailbag. At least one of the mailbag questions. I don't read the script. We'll just re- <laughs> <laughs> we'll just repackage. We'll just repackage that that. Uh, we were talking about the events of the day. It would have been disingenuous to pretend that we didn't see this one thing that we wait until the mailbag for it to be brought to our attention what if we wait until the mailbag john asked a question and then we all pretended like it was brand new news and we had to react <laughs> accordingly what? I, I think he would have liked that i think that would have been a nice <laughs> present to john. but instead this is the world we made this is the world we live in that is applicable to a lot of different things anyway <laughs> Nepple sports <laughs> Any other uh, any other famous forty threes? Uh, Dennis Eckersley. Yes, that's the only one I know. Yeah, I would have gone with Sproles. Yeah, that's we. At a certain point, we got we got to turn the calendar. We got to flip over the season. We have to go next season. When do we tip, we typically do that? What in August, right? Like when it's yeah. we have no yeah. rhyme or reason. Isn't Normally, it really we we used to take a summer of... break. What happened to my summer break? There's no longer a summer break. Recording a podcast, Kyle. Recording a podcast is very stressful for Kyle. Don't we? You know, like, don't we usually uh i thought like we flip it over right before the start of um like fall practices 
We should still be in season one, episode 100. <laughs> episode. How many episodes have we done? Fall yes. practices happen in like August, end of July or July. Mm. This is Pop Warner and you're listening to The Scoop on alscoop.com. <laughs> Which is the problem. <laughs> my, uh, my nephew, prior to his Pop Warner season, starting off, uh, twisted his ankle in a pickup basketball game or a summer league basketball game. Really? We'll see how it how it impacts the defending national championship downtown young whippets. That's a damn shame. I think I probably asked you this before. If if Ryder like became a, a high level recruit, I'd take money. Do you? <laughs> I wasn't like that. Wasn't going to be my question. I'd also have also have him juice a little bit. Just a little, <laughs> a little HGH. Like see what happens. Like they're not. They aren't not piss testing you in high school. Just uh, <laughs> keep it going a little bit. Sh- shave a tenth off that forty, man. Let's rock and roll. Just sitting there being talked about like this. <laughs> I should have been expecting that. What he, I would- hit, he hit me with a Candace joke the other day that I actually fell for. So like, I have no sympathy towards the kid. So what I was actually going to ask you, Kyle, was if 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 Ryder becomes like a, a well known recruit. Mm-hmm. Would he, would he give you decent scoop about his recruitment? I think I legitimately think I'd run his recruitment. Like I'm not even joking. Like I think like I have enough experience, knowledge, and resources, and like connections that like I would be involved in his recruitment. I think run, I would be asked to be involved in his recruitment. Run or ruin his recruitment? Run, R U N. I think I would coordinate his recruitment. <laughs> so, Brand Brown, head coach of Monmouth in 2028, whatever it is. Reach out to me. We can get this done. I love it. Anyway, Dennis Eckersley, Darren Sproles. Sam remembers Dennis Eckersley, does not remember Move On. Yes. Well, I actually only know Dennis Eckersley well enough because uh, when I interned at WEI a couple years ago, that was during my internship was when he joined the booth, um, the Nesson, I guess it was the Nesson booth calling Red Sox games. And it was, they went to a three-man booth and it was like a whole big thing. So. And you got to meet him? him? No, I I got two others here. Uh, One is a hall of fame safety with great hair. Troy Palomalo. Troy Palomalo. Troy Palomalo. And the other one is the people, a player that they say is always going to give trouble in bead and then bead just bodies every year. Pascal. Pascal. Oh yeah. Mm, Pascal Siakam. There we go. Is it good? I have a few off the top of my head. Chris Humphreys, when he played with the Nets, Kim Kardashian's former uh Here we go, Caden. That's a good one. Deep... <laughs> Here we go. I'm trying to think of another one. That's a good one. Chris Humphreys. That is a good one. That's, That's a deep early. cut. Kendrick Kirk early. wanted 43 at one point. Oh, yeah. Kirk was 43. Hmm. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I think I got one. Uh, I think I got one types. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was Googling the I'm sorry, I'm Googling the team to make sure he wore it for this. Uh, like a slightly above average pitcher for the Phillies in the 90s. Not a clue. Not a clue. Slightly mm. above average pitcher. Uh can you give me initials? Or earlier 2000s. I think the initials will give it away. First. RW. Randy, uh Randy Wolf. Yeah. Randy uh, Wolf. Hmm, I do know him. Randy Wolf, uh, I, I, well, this had to be 
10, 15 years ago, Todd Zalecki and I went to go see a Coldplay concert at whatever the, the place across the street was, uh, across the street, across the river in Camden was called, whether it was Tweeter at the time, it, was, it would have been Tweeter. Probably. We're walking away and um, I, we hear somebody say, Zoe, and it was Randy Wolf. And he's like, Wolfie, what's going on? And I guess they'd like, they knew each other from like him covering the team. And as opposed walking, to walking under, yeah, we're walking under. They knew each other from back around. Back around. <laughs> it could have been that too. So we're walking through like this echoey, like tunnel type of thing. And people start doing this, this Eagles chant again and again and again. And I said, they even do this at the, at the ballpark. Right. And he looks at me, he goes, yeah. I said, what do you think of that? When you hear that? And he just goes real original, real original. <laughs> So oh really, no, they weren't chanting my team's name while like I got paid $13 million to play a game. Slightly bothered by Eagles chance. I remember that. Never thought I would have a Randy Wolf story, but that's my Randy Wolf story. That tells me that Randy Wolf was soft. Soft. Yeah. He's probably got a nice life. Yeah. He made a uh, career earnings of uh, I'm gonna say oh crap, crap, it went away. I had it. $68 million. Had a nice go. life. Yeah, very nice life. Anyway, anyway, Temple Sports. Temple it's been sports. Pretty, Speaking uh, of having a nice life, Shane is owning a nice been, life now. It's been eventful since we last recorded last week. A bunch of verbal commitments for football, one for basketball. We'll lead off with the basketball news. Uh, we've been telling you for the last couple of weeks that uh, we were expecting something to eventually get done with Shane Dizoni, the, the Vanderbilt transfer. And then he announced, uh, again, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. So he announced Tuesday night that, uh, that he is committed to Temple, uh, I think we told you last week on the scoop that he's been on campus, was at team camp, and we're just kind of waiting on confirmation for a couple other things to line up. So um, looks like he's in and in the mix. Um, we're off on the timeline, right? He announced Wednesday night? Yes, yes, Thursday. Yeah. It's cheese. I forgot what day it was. So I'm sharp coming out of the shoot here. Yes. Uh, he announced Wednesday night, and it's <laughs> recording this on a Thursday. So, uh, yes, Shane Dizoni is a Temple Owl. Uh, another piece for the another piece for the backcourt. You know, um, again, we know he was a former a former top 100 recruit. Again, if you don't know much about his background, uh, had signed with Arizona um, coming out of uh, coming out of high school, and uh, was at Vanderbilt this past year. Uh, shot it pretty well in the, in the, in the limited minutes that he played, uh, didn't do much in the game that, that Vanderbilt, uh, lost to Temple in overtime back in December, but can shoot the ball at, early on in his career has been a little prone to, to turning it over, but still, you know, a, a piece for Temple, a significant piece via the transfer portal. We haven't been able to confirm just yet if he's going to, um, he would be eligible to play this year. Um, just confirming, uh, whether or not he is going to be playing, uh, playing this year. Um, Sam, you, you know, put a couple of clips on Twitter last night, kind of just taking a, a look at his game and offering a, a glimpse into his game. What do you think this does for Temple? Um, I think surface level, uh, it just gives them another backcourt presence because that's kind of the thing they've been looking for with obviously a loss in losing Jeremiah Williams and Ty Strickland. Um, you know, they, they kind of have to fill those spots. So uh, in terms of what they're getting in Shandizoni, you touched on it a little bit. My understanding is that last year, uh, I mean, he was seeing double-digit minutes uh, for a good portion of the first half of the season. Um, and then it was due to an injury from an, another player on Vanderbilt, whose name I'm blanking on. And then once he came back, he started to see his minutes dip a little bit, but 
Uh, yeah, he's a, he's someone who in a small sample size showed that he has the potential to turn into a pretty solid sharpshooter, which, uh, I think could be really important for Temple coming off the bench. If he's someone who can come in and I use the term play right away cautiously because I don't mean play, you know, 20 plus minutes right away, but if he can give them 10 or 12 minutes, uh, early on in the season, and that becomes a normal role for him to come in, knock down a few shots maybe similar to what they had Zach Hicks in early on in the season of someone who just come in and knock down a couple of shots. I think that's, um, that's a huge additive to, to what Temple wants to be able to do. He does turn the ball over, which is a big, bad thing. Um, <laughs> if, if he can come in, I mean, he's, he's super, super athletic. He can finish pretty well around the rim. Um, he can kind of morph his body decently well. So I think if, if he can be an additive as a guy who can come off the bench, knock down a couple of shots, uh, and kind of help within the flow of the offense and limit those turnovers. I've read that he's a little bit foul prone too. Um, I'm not trying to talk and, you know, talk him down too much. That's not what I mean to do, but I think the, the cautious, the cautiousness of what they're getting is he's said to be a little bit foul prone and turn the ball over, but he's super athletic and shoot the ball really well. The question is when he gets to temple and he comes into temples offense or comes into temple at both ends of the floor in whatever role that looks like off the bench, does he turn into more of a heavy turnover foul prone guard that can't stay on the floor for very long? Or does he give them something legitimate off the bench as a scorer and someone that can contribute defensively? I think that's really all you're looking for from Shane to in year one is can he be a guy to contribute legitimately as a two-way player off the bench? And then in year two, he would have to step up into a much bigger role when Caleb and potentially Damian Dunn are both gone. Two things. Big bad thing made me chuckle. I don't know why. It just <laughs> cracked me up. And you use the word additive twice as if he's like an additive. Did I? Pre- like an additive and preservative. That's what it makes me think of. Like interesting. Like it's like part of like a cereal or like a fruit roll up or something like that. Just I don't know. I keep you on your toes with some of my some of my language, I guess. Yeah. That you didn't even know you used. Nope. Nope. So well, I, I didn't realize I used it twice. Anyway, go ahead. I mean, we would probably think um that they're done at this point, right? Cause now they're, they're at 12 scholarships, correct? Correct. And yeah. we probably think and reasonably assume that they're probably going to hold on to one to roll over or keep for a mid-year transfer potentially. Yeah. The concept of rolling over is dumb in this day and age because you're going to have so much roster turnover that you don't need to roll over. But I think having that ammunition in your back pocket for a potential mid-year enrollee is a benefit at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another another piece of uh, just recruiting news or recruiting update uh, class from the class of 2023 uh, Temple again. So we're recording on Thursday. So on Wednesday they offered Zion Stanford, a uh, wing guard from West Catholic. I guess it's technically West Catholic Academy now. Was a first team All Catholic League player. Um, averaged uh, 14.8 points, 5.4 rebounds, 2.3 steals, and 1.8 blocks per game. And his 59.6 field goal percentage led the PCL. So, um, you know, a, a really good player. I haven't seen him play live. Sam, did you ever, have you seen him at all in your travels, like any Philly live stuff? Have you seen him live? Yeah, I've seen West Catholic play. I think I saw him play twice this year and mm-hmm. I saw them play a little bit last year, but not, I didn't look like watch him closely enough or watch the watch them closely enough to give you anything, uh, anything of note. Yeah, it seems to be, again, a couple of people I've talked to said he kind of, you know, fits the mold of like a Philly player that that is tough and is skilled. 
has, you know, has offers from St. Joe's and Drexel doesn't have, you know, high major offers yet, but seems to be the type of player, uh, type of player and type of person that Aaron McKee would want in terms of like a Philly kid who's tough that they feel like they can develop and, and has some, some upside seems to be the general rub uh, trying to get a hold of him uh, and his head coach uh, for a story. So hopefully we'll have some more um, details coming up, uh, coming up there. So I did have a story I want to tell you guys uh, that I had very briefly mentioned in our chat earlier this week, uh, which sort of relates to what we were just talking about and will be the perfect, in my head is the perfect segue to what we will talk about for the rest of the podcast. Um, <laughs> Temple does have one scholarship left. Kyle had mentioned it probably makes the most sense to hold it for a mid-year scholarship. Uh, if that's the case, there may be someone already on campus that they, that they could grab. Earlier this week, I was, this must have been two yesterday, two days ago, I was playing basketball at McGonagall with a couple of my roommates. And I like, had just finished, I take my shoes off and I walked over to see one of my other roommates was playing a game on another court. And he's playing against these three kids, two of which are wearing Temple football shirts. And one of them was not. And they were, how do I put this in a way that makes sense? Every time they scored the ball, they went absolutely ballistic. <laughs> Uh, they were very excitable and had a lot of energy um, with each time they did anything productive on the floor, which was probably hilarious. I mean, my roommate was getting really annoyed because of their team, but it was probably hilarious to them. And I realized after I didn't really at first glance recognize any of the kids. And then they came off the court and I, I saw one of them and I was like, he looks really familiar. And then I realized that that player was EJ Warner, who is clearly now on campus, famously Kurt Warner's son, Temple commit freshman quarterback. Uh, so I had said to my roommate that, um, cause he was getting so mad because him and EJ Warner started going at it a little bit, just like chirping each other. And because my roommate was talking, uh, EJ Warner started like going at him and hit three threes just right in his eye, uh, in that game. So if Temple needs a mid-year scholarship, EJ Warner, if he's not, if you, maybe he registered freshman year of football, he can maybe give a couple minutes off the bench. For temple foot for temple basketball you never know um but it was funny i was i was very surprised because i mean at first glance he didn't look he probably was six feet but he looked looked like an inch taller i mean i'm five nine looked like an inch taller than me two inches but um yeah i thought it was funny that uh that ej warner was was hooping uh was hooping and hit three threes right in, right in his eye i thought that was funny ej warner is a tender six feet um duan mathis changed <laughs> changed his number that's football news. Yeah, he's 11 now, like P.J. Walker. Uh, oh, didn't man. retire 11 yet. Oh. They did not. Well, P.J. wore eight for his senior year because oh. Rule wanted to make eight like the marquee single digit. Uh, yeah, but let me say this. You, you did do, in all seriousness, you, you did a, a good job recently of like noticing and like breaking down Jaleel White's shot. Mm, thank you. Put it like putting the fingers into the cookie jar, like that movement. Yeah. Compared to the improvement in Jaleel White's shot, how would you break down Kurt Warner's shot? I mean, like legit. EJ Warner shot. Did I say Kurt Warner? You did say Kurt Warner. Kurt. Well, but we'll get to Kurt Warner in a second. Maybe you saw him play too. I also do want to talk about Jaleel at some point, but uh, I mean, it wasn't like anything perfect, but he had a, he had a clean enough release. It wasn't any like weird, awkward jerking movements. It was like just a clean, like one motion shot. It was, it was solid. He's knocking him down, getting a high release point. He's knocking him down. Yes. But you do actually like before we transition over to football, you, the getting back to Jaleel for a second, you see you're seeing some legit improvement in the shot. I mean, it was based on one like one picture 
Um, but I think like the biggest problem with Josh shot, and I think we've talked about this a little bit is like the way his hand comes up is his hand flares out. So like his thumb and the inner part of his hand starts to flare out, which puts a little bit of spin on the ball. It's a little bit harder to get a clean kind of motion with putting that motion towards the rim and all his momentum going towards the rim with backspin because it spins a little bit because of the way his hand jerks. So in that picture, the first picture, his thumb is more in towards his um, forearm and his fingers are like flared out. So you can see the, the latter half of like the hand push. Whereas the more current picture uh, in his workouts or whatever, it's a lot straighter and his hand come, his hands come more down rather than out, which gets a better spin on the ball and the ball goes straighter and more likely to go in the hoop. Who needs Herb McGee? We have, <laughs> we have the younger shot doctor here in, in Sam Cohn. What would be easier, fixing the basketball shot or doing like what I do when I golf and just if I know it's going to go to the right, I just aim <laughs> further left. <laughs> Should Ja play the slice in his yeah. shot is what you're asking. Yeah. Would that be easier? Just like, hey, Ja, imagine it's a little further to the side. No, because <laughs> no. you play the slice hundreds of yards out from the cup Jaw plays at 25 feet from the cup. It's all right. Yeah, it's all, <laughs> it's all in perspective. It's all right. Coach Kyle. An um, important question, nonetheless. Yes. Um, we do have uh, so some, some good, good stuff there from Sam uh, and some interesting stuff from, from Coach Kyle as well. Maybe he'll be I wasn't coaching there. I was asking. I'm just a blank slate. <laughs> um Shifting over uh, to football, it has been an eventful week since we have last recorded the scoop. So Temple's up to 10 verbal commitments now. So since we last recorded, Tyrese Whitaker, uh, uh, outside linebacker, Russia and type from Northeast High School, committed last Thursday. Conlon Green is a strong side defensive end from Penn Trafford High School out by Pittsburgh, committed last Friday. Kevin Terry, an offensive lineman from Clearwater Central Catholic, committed last Saturday. And then Eric King, an offensive lineman from St. Peter's Prep, uh, committed Monday. So that brings him up to 10. And we're going to play a, a clip from my conversation with Eric King in a little bit here. Um, overall thoughts on this? Again, it seems like just based off the sense we can get from like the, the positions that they want to address, um, how they want to fill out their board, it seems like they're kind of progressing in the in the areas they want to progress in okay now I'll, I'll throw this over to you first i mean again you've um you know javon's been helping us out with some recruiting coverage as well uh you're obviously like close to this stuff you um where do you think things stand for them right now and again we'll get to some some news that they're waiting on in the coming days but the, of the 10 verbals they have now what do you think of you know what's going on in the last week or so yeah, I thought they had some pretty, you know, good gets this week. Uh, Kevin Terry, the guy that you interviewed, or didn't interview, but uh, you wrote about five days ago for uh, Al's group. I thought he was an interesting get. Obviously, teammates with London Hall, so that Clearwater uh, Catholic connection is interesting. They landed him, I think he's 6'6", 250, so a guy like that who's been very productive in the state of Florida, had offer from West Virginia and some other schools. So they're, they're getting some guys, you know, over bigger schools, which I think is, you know, pretty impressive. But obviously adding some, you know, beef up front with Eric King and then Kevin Terry. So getting a little big up front, you're going to have to replenish, you know, when Adam Klein leaves and Isaac Moore leaves. So they're adding younger guys. So I think they're, you know, trying to build that up. And then defensively, you get Tyrese Whitaker from Northeast High School. And he seems like a player, you know, he had a lot of, you know, offers as well. And uh, from you know, Javon's article, he talked about how the culture is different with Stan Drayton. And that's kind of like 
what convinced them. So, you know, they're, you know, it seems like they're building a more physical, you know, like team right now. And they're doing well again, doing well in Florida, even, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to kind of with Conlon green. I mean, they didn't get a guy from Pittsburgh who had like, you know, Pitt, Penn state, Ohio state, like that type of level recruit. But again, I mean, anytime you can go into, into that area uh, and get somebody, you know, they, they've gotten players that from out there before, whether they've panned out or not has been kind of, you know, another, another thing. Most of the time they haven't, again, that that's, that's recruiting country that has typically been dominated by some of those other programs. But um, that, that footprint, again, like you get a guy from, you get a guy from, from Jersey uh, and King, but it seems like they're kind of slowly, but surely kind of like checking off some of those boxes. We've got a guy from Maryland. We've got, we've got a guy from Western PA. We've gotten a few more guys um, from Florida and it looks like the class so far, again, these are verbal commitments just to remind everybody. Um, I guess we should note that, and we'll see how this plays out. Um, rivals, uh, Adam Gordy, I think, right, had been at the Miami camp, and Richard Dandridge apparently played pretty well at a Miami camp. And we, we ran that story, I believe, earlier in the week that played well at a Miami camp. I don't think he has a Miami offer yet, right? Since, since then, they've added two wide receivers that are physically about the same size as Richard. Dandridge, so that ship might have already sailed. Okay, but it's so, a, it's an example of Florida recruit early commit doesn't mean he's shutting down his recruitment. He's still going to camps. You get somebody to keep an eye on, whether it's a Miami or it's a Louisville or UNC. Like there's always the possibility that these kids come in. Yeah, or um, these schools come in. Yeah, and something to to keep an eye on too. And who knows? I mean, some of this might play out between the time we you know finish recording and post the pod. Oh, I doubt it. Jamari Ford from Miami's Northwestern high school. Uh, looks like he's down to temple and Jackson state. And then we were kind of talking about this earlier in the day in our group chat. Uh, Kyle pointed out that uh, Chuck West Smith, another Florida running back from Jesuit high school in Tampa, he announces tomorrow. So then if he, if he ends up committing, then again, I don't, we don't know where Ford's head is just yet on this stuff, but, but if Smith ends up committing to temple, then Ford, you know, if you listen to like, you know, when I talked to Kyle Williams from from Harrisburg High School, he told me the Temple's planning to take two running backs in that class, in this class. So if if Smith commits, then Ford doesn't have a spot at Temple. But it'll be interesting to see. I think we'll know more about, you know, how this running back situation is going to play out between now. Oh, and, you, know, you never know. Yeah. I mean, Rule fam- famously took three running backs, right? T.J. Simmons, uh, Rockwell Armstead and um Garner, Jagger Gardner in the same class. Oh, yeah. yeah. TJ Simmons obviously didn't pan out, but they took three running backs. I I, I don't think Temple's gonna take three running backs, but it is interesting that Ford and Jacquez Smith are very different types of running backs. So yeah. could yeah, see it happen. Yeah, and again, you make a good point. I mean, like not that we're breaking any news here, but again, I mean, there's no somebody from the current group has to has to prove themselves. And even right. if that is like rushing for like 600 yards this season. Yeah, what if you fast forward? I mean, look, after um and that was actually I mean, Rule took that after Jihad Thomas burst on the scene. Like mm-hmm. he had a protective running back and he still took three running backs. But imagine we fast forward 6 months and you're dealing with hey, the same questions are in that running back room for the third straight year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you just you you sacrifice another position group in the hopes of finally striking on somebody. You think back to how Jihad improved too. I mean, when they took yeah. him you're like okay, Good player from Elizabeth High School, but I mean, Jihad really, really worked on his game. I mean, again, you, I know you could say this about a lot of college football players, but I mean, he 
you know, he was a guy that was initially kind of like catching some balls out of the backfield and then we get caught from behind. And then the following season's like, Oh, he looks a little bit more explosive. And then like in 2015, the way he was putting his foot in the ground and planning and like, like the moves that he made to get into the end zone against, against Penn state against Notre Dame. Like he was not absolutely not doing that when he first got to temple. I'm not saying that that's how things are going to play out for Ed Sadie or Darvon Hubbard or, or Trey Blair, any of those guys, we'll, we'll have to see. But you're and right. And then by by his senior year, he was wearing uh, thumb wraps on different thumbs. It was an interesting. I forgot about. It was that. an interesting start to the year. I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> Jihad Thomas thumb injury. Um, sure. Um, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, well, I think we'll have we'll have more. We might have between this week and next week. I think we might have a a better idea of how things are going to play out uh, on their on their running back board. But like Kyle said, you know, who's to say that they're definitely going to take two. We'll, we'll play this clip for you here. I, again, I was talking about uh, Eric King, the offensive lineman from St. Peter's prep and uh, talked to him again, recording this on Thursday. I talked to him. Uh, we kind of kept missing each other. talked to him yesterday and uh, had talked about how you know, things played out with his recruitment. Yes. At one point he had offers from, Syracuse and Rutgers during his recruitment. And he talked to me, uh, and you'll see the story that we have up on the site. If you're an Al Scoop subscriber, uh, at one point he said, yeah, I was going to, I was going to commit to Rutgers in February. And I said, you know what, let me hold off. Uh, let me see what else is out there. Then he was going to commit to Syracuse. And the day before Syracuse was like, don't come on your official visit. We just, we just, you know, you don't have a spot for you anymore. Um, and then things dried up at, at Rutgers as well. And then, you know, along the way, Temple had re-offered him. The previous staff had offered him. The new staff offered him and kind of hung around and hung around. And he talked a lot in our conversation about how much honesty meant to him. And some programs gave that to him and some programs did not give that to him. And he, he praised Temple for being honest. And he talked about the connection that he had with Chris Wiesahan. You know, he talked a lot about Stan Drayton as well, but in this clip we're going to play for you here, uh, you can hear how much he respects Chris Wiesahan and how highly he thinks of Chris Wiesahan, Temple's offensive line coach. Honestly, everything they said, like, they kept it real. Like, they showed me all the guys that that they uh, coached here when they were at Temple before. Uh, coach Wood, I mean, Coach Wies, I knew he was at Temple before. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was basically showing me all the linemen that, that he put through the, the NFL process. And I was like, I was like, it's not a coach that probably, an online coach that probably has shown me, that has recruited me and, and showed me something like that. Like, mm-hmm. that's different, you know? Like, if, you, if you're telling me that you, because that's the main goal. The main goal is to get to the NFL. If you can show me how many people you got to the NFL, I believe that you can put me in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're talking about your conversations with Chris Reesehan. He was, I guess he was talking about yeah. like Deion Dawkins and Matt Hennessy and yeah. those guys. He was showing me, he was basically telling me and showing me all his connections and stuff like that. And, and, uh, how all the players appreciate him for doing what they, doing what he did for them and stuff like that. Yeah. So that, that, that didn't, I didn't let that go from my head. All right. So let's head to the mailbag, we've got a few questions to get to here. The first one comes from the screen name McKee one uh, from the from the message boards. The question here is just wondering how many freshman football players we intend to sign. By my count, I see we only have eleven senior scholarship players for this upcoming season. Decent question. Again, they have ten it, it, so far. Off the bat, a little inaccurate. There's only eight. 
scholarship seniors for right. this class right yeah. now. Like, are there people that are also going to leave? Sure, but there's there's eight seniors right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kyle, you're 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 very good at uh, tracking this stuff and kind of projecting this stuff. It's obviously gotten different. Sure. With the with you know with the advent of the portal, I know we're kind of just spitballing here. They're at ten verbals now. Again, we'll see who you know stays committed and, and you know how all that plays out. But do you have Look, like I- a magic number in your head where you think they would stop and say, okay, we're good at this point heading into the fall and we're going to leave these spots for the portal. Yeah. Look, I think in the end of the day, you're still expecting to sign um, overall, you're expecting roster movement every year, this year of 25, 30 a season. And the issue is, I think there is talk in the NCAA removing the 25 cap and just keeping the 85 instead of 25 a year. I think the thing is historically you talk about, you know, recruit your base and then you take shots once the season's over I think that's still the case, but I think it's changed a bit. I think before it used to be maybe you get the low-hanging fruit and then you focus on higher guys maybe that you can that you have to spend more time on. I feel like you load the class with high school kids and then you figure it out later now. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if by November or December there's you know, 20, 22 high school kids committed. And then after the season ends, you figure out, okay, well, do we have to push out three of these wide receivers and take some kids from the portal? Is this kid good enough? Blah, blah. So I think in the end, it'll be 16, 17, 18 high school kids. I just think it might get to the higher than that number, and then they figure it out later. I think that number might get whittled down. I wouldn't focus on eight or 11, whatever scholarships, because there's going to be so many kids that leave. There's probably redshirt juniors on this team that, you know, academically, they're senior, seniors. Academically, they're redshirt seniors because 2020 didn't count. Then they might just be like, look, I'm done. Like, mm-hmm. is Ronald Gaines going to come back for a fifth year of long snapping? Like, I don't know. It might just be like a look, let's move on situation uh, down the board. Mm-hmm. So I would I would still focus around 20-ish for before we even get into the transfer portal. Yeah, and again, what I I think that sounds very like a like a very solid projection. I mean, Stan Drayton's talked a lot about like, hey, yes, we want to be mindful of the portal, but I don't want to build this program through the portal. Again, we'll see. You know, again, these things are fluid. These guys adjust, but look, I think I think the, you're still seeing high school kids get squeezed because of the portal. Oh yeah. I mean, initially it's because 2020 didn't count against eligibility, and all of a sudden, all these people like just didn't have scholarships to give. I just think that if you're not one of those like top 250, 300, 400 kids, and you're like a three star guy that had initial Power Five offers, you're seeing it with with an Eric King. And probably yeah, with the Tyrone say. with a probably with the Tyrone Whitaker too, to be honest, where it's okay, you had these offers, you didn't commit to them. Those offers go away quicker now than they used to in the past. Yeah. yeah. I think in a different world, you know, Eric King might have had that spot at Syracuse or might have had that spot at Rutgers, and then they're like, nope, we're moving on. Yeah, I think I talked to Kyle Williams about that a little bit. Uh, when uh, when he committed a couple of weeks ago and asked, you know, from his perspective, was he seeing things a little differently? He's like, yeah, I do. I do think. And again, I'm paraphrasing here. Yes, I do believe that guys are getting a little squeezed and then things work out more uh, on the back end. And look, um, end of the day, Temple can win a lot of games by being the guy that's there at closing time. Like you stayed till 2 a.m. You were still available. <laughs> Temple got the commitment. Yeah, real quick, I was I was talking to a friend of mine who works in the recruiting department of a power five school, and he was kind of saying that, like, we are shuffling offers a little bit more quickly than I remember when I started. Like, you know, if you don't take it really quick, we are moving on a lot for uh, a lot faster. So uh, that is definitely having happening all around the country uh, and kids are going to have to adjust. Schools are going to have to adjust. But like Kyle said, I mean, 
Temple has the advantage of being like, hey, we never went anywhere. We never right. screwed with you. We were upfront about it. Come here. So well, that uh, means I think you're even seeing um, like it makes sense, right? Because before, if I'm a Wake Forest, I'm willing to wait for a kid at Durham longer and longer. But now my recruiting base is the entire nation. It's 130 teams of, of 85 scholarship kids. It's easier for me to go look up on a roster. Oh, that that four-star running back hasn't played yet for them. Let me see if I put things out there and see if I can get him instead of waiting for this kid from Durham. So recruiting is always fluid, as somebody likes to say, um, but recruiting is a lot more fluid over the last three, four years than it was five, six, seven years ago. It's, it's the wild, wild west. Dante, let me follow up on that kind of not really going off script, but again, knowing that guys can always, they're going to get into college, they'll have some sort of entry point, and then they could transfer up or transfer down or whatever. In studying the draft and and doing, you know, a big part of what you do, you think this will kind of like, are we going to see a different narrative in the future? Obviously, we're not going to stop seeing guys from the Alabamas and the LSUs of the world and all that stuff. But do you think we're going to start to see uh, other draft stories where like, yeah, there's a mid round end of the first round guy from from Coastal or or Temple or like, do you think we're going to start to see more of those stories because of how because of how guys are getting squeezed, or, or do you think guys will just end up at the end of the day they're going to end up at a big school regardless? I think we're already seeing it. I mean, we saw the Patriots take a guard out of Chattanooga in the first round this year, right? And I don't know if he got squeezed out of a Power Five offer or not, but just. I mean, we're already seeing it. I mean, we've seen the transfer portal kind of lose that stigma to NFL draft people as well. A lot of quarterbacks who have moved around in recent years have been taken really high and nobody really seemed to knock them for that. So, yeah, I mean, I think we'll see a ton of it. I think it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how this works out with like the other question that we talked about earlier is like, you know, do these players who aren't getting a chance, these four three-star high three-star recruits who aren't getting a chance to play over some five stars at big schools. Do they stay, you know, how does conference realignment affect that? How good do teams, you know, outside of, you know, Kyle said there's going to be two power five or two power conferences. How good do teams get kind of poaching some of the players who fall through the cracks? So all that's going to be interesting from the NFL draft perspective. One thing I will give the NFL credit for um, is that they don't typically hold a huge small school bias. And I think we've slowly, but surely, seen that dwindle to the point where I would argue it doesn't even matter anymore. Um, And I think one thing that I have learned over the years is that recruiting stars matter to NFL teams. They care about that stuff. I would argue they should not, um, but they do. Uh, So these kids who are four-star recruits, like you said, John, slipping to the coastals of the world, if any of them slip to Temple, I mean, yeah, that's going to be a huge pull for them. That's going to be a big leg up for them getting their name in the back end of that first round or early second round. And uh, obviously – uh, Dante's a lot more plugged in the NFL than I am, but I, I also think there's still this, the possibility for one-year wonders, right? Like if I'm a, a guy that got to Temple and I really didn't pop off until my junior year, like I don't have to go to another school. Like if I had a good enough junior year, I can just declare from there. And they, let me see with at a higher level, like Aiden Hutchinson didn't do anything until this year and he's dynamic. Kenny Pickett of Temple fame was kind of just around around and he has a monster year and then you go from there so i i don't think if you're a temple fan you're like wow we're never gonna have another first round pick like there's so many places to play ball there's so many different ways to find your way into a first round pick that i think it's it's still the same as it ever was mm-hmm. so even like back- arnold abiketti arnold abiketti like we were aware of arnold abiketti arnold abiketti didn't really pop onto the national scene until one year like he had a really good year at penn state and then they took mm-hmm. off yeah um, going back to, and this is a mailbag question, like I said, this is what I was alluding to when I said Kyle was jumping ahead. 
on the mailbag here, again, we, we, we started the podcast talking about the big conference realignment news about USC and U, uh, UCLA leaving for uh, the Big Ten. So this is from JHG722 from the message board. The latest conference musical chairs has USC and UCLA leaving for the Big Ten. Will conference musical chairs ever help Temple get into a power conference? If so, what do you think will, it will take to reach that point? So, Kyle, you you said, and I, you know, it sounds plausible that there could be just two mega conferences and everything else is like a a second tier. What would yeah. it, I don't know. I'll say, I think the way he meant the question was, is Temple ever going to be like in the show? Is Temple ever going to be part of like the, like the upper tier conferences ever again? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. I think what could happen is these two monster conferences happen. The ACC loses guys there. Like, look, there's already talks. Like, it's crazy how quickly this stuff happens. Nobody knew about this. And now there's talks that it could be done by the end of the week, that USC yeah. and UCLA could be done like before July 4th. There's also already reports that are out there. The NCAA, not the NCAA, the Notre Dame can get out of its grant of rights for everything, uh, for nothing but football. Like, football can leave without having to pay the GORs to the ACC. So it's like, okay. Notre Dame's always want to go to the Big Ten. Does the Big Ten also bring in uh, more traveling partners in Pac-12, like Arizona, and take on all these schools? Maybe. And that chaos is good for Temple. Like, the only way you get your foot in the door at any upper mobility is by chaos. Because if everything stays the same, nobody's adding Temple just for the sake of adding Temple. Mm -hmm. The problem is, if all of a sudden you do finally get in the ACC because six schools left, what does that ACC look like? You're in the American from three years ago. Like you're in the, you're in the same stuff. So like, I don't, I don't think there's ever a scenario. I think that ship sailed 30 years ago for Temple to be part of the Habs. And even if they had done everything right, they still might be part of the have not to this point, because I think there's going to be such massive overturn that you're going to see schools like Wake and the NC States and Vanderbilt's of the world who are in that tier, who might just be like, look, like we're not in that tier anymore. We're, doing it so i think if you're an optimist you're expecting so much chaos that things blow up that you are finally able to get into that more regional mid-atlantic atlantic coast level conference that you've always wanted Temple to be part of it's just you're still probably going to be a have not in that scenario so it can be good but i don't think there's that i don't think there is a unless a billionaire croaks tomorrow and makes a 750 million dollar donation to the big 10 on temple's behalf I don't. I don't see that ever happening. You don't know that it won't. So, so, you're, so you are saying there's a chance. Yeah, there's always a chance. Always a chance. Um, final question that we have here via text. Anybody else have opinions on that? It's a pretty major undertaking uh, or a pretty major event in the NCAA. So I'd like I, more than you, just my voice. You explained my point perfectly because the way the, the question was worded, I assume that he meant like, would they be able to join a now what is considered a power five conference eventually? but we're assuming that there's only going to be two power conferences and I don't think Temple's always getting in there. I'll add another. There's a chance there's all, I mean, look, this is maybe just as unplausible as Kyle's scenario. There's also a chance where Temple becomes a basketball and football powerhouse, right? There's the 0.0, whatever percent chance that is. So maybe they play their way into it or maybe a billionaire croaks and gives a $7 billion donation to the big 10. Those, those are really the only two ways though. I, I think. I will say to add on to that last part, like, they can play their way into it. I think that's a good reminder of like every time this happens at the end of a realignment, someone goes, okay, it's done. It's over. And it's never over. 
It won't be over after this. Even if you have 70 schools in two conferences, fast forward 10 years from now, someone's going to be pissed off at being the number 17 school in that conference. And they're going to say, whoa, why don't we just go play, take our ball and do our, go elsewhere? Like it's never over. It's constantly moving. I, if I was a betting man, Temple's not in the American 10 years from now. I don't know where they are. In the big 35. They could be in the big 35. They could be in the Canadian Football League. They could be in <laughs> the Chessmont League. Like, I don't know. They could be anywhere. The this stuff. I look, Chessmont League's good ball. All right. Shanahan's good sneaky good. East and West always there. Coatesville. Like, it's, it's the playing games at a refurbished uh, Kerr Park. I had that dream. I told you, I texted that like a week ago. I had a dream that Graham was trying to convince us that it was a good thing that Temple was now playing in Kottmeyer Stadium, which is like, it is what it is. So uh, I think like to put a bow on it, chaos is good for Temple, but I'd still manage my expectations. Because hell, you know what would be really bad for Temple if this was a doomsday scenario? Is if the if there isn't two conferences and there remains a Power Five and the Pac-12 says Memphis, SMU, like, come on down. And then Temple's really just, like, alone with, like, nobody of your, what you consider your tier of program, and you're just in Conference USA. Mm-hmm. Highs and lows. Ebbs and flows. Giving us, uh, giving us and our listeners a, a lot to think about. We'll, uh, I think the Pac-12 dissolves. So, you guys are bad. <laughs> um, we'll give you uh, this this question to close things out. This is uh, texted to me from Pat Egan, our loyal listener from 97.5 Fanatic. Give us a shout-out at uh, – couple weeks ago appreciate that on, on the morning show nice of him to do that yeah well i gave you a shout out well he said the scoop yeah yeah we, we appreciate that Pat. yes shout out for me is a shout out for everybody I also mean, usc and ucla is going to be done by the time this goes they're voting at 6 p.m tonight hmm. people didn't know about this until two or three hours ago yeah. 6 p.m tonight they're voting on. yes yes uh pat's question is it seems like stan drayton has done more in a few months with recruiting, recruiting wise than Rod Carey did in four years, am I totally off base because I wish Rod Carey nothing but the worst? <laughs> I'll think of another question. Wow. He has not, uh, he has not. Can you stopped. repeat the question? I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to go look in the script and it's not in the script. Kyle was the, Kyle was the inspiration for that Anchorman moment. Ron, are you listening? No. <laughs> it's got worse. I feel like I, I feel like I make more typos than before. I pay less attention. It's good. Father time, man. How would, if we were to talk to Meg and, and I said to Meg on a scale of one to 10, how good of a listener is Kyle? What do you think she would say? Um, a six. I'm like, okay. I'm not a great listener. I, I, I feel you like talked, I, you talked yourself into that six. Meg you? and I constantly have like the back and forth of like, if she doesn't understand that, unless I'm actively like looking at you in the same room, like I did not hear you. Like she'll like say things out of the room and then be like, I called for you four times. I didn't hear you. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and we, we, we have an open concept house. You know, it's supposed to travel through like a high ceilings. It should bounce around. Nothing like that door. If she was not in this door, I would not hear her. So that doesn't help my listening. <laughs> um, so not a uh, Pat has not followed up with the second question, but that's fine. We'll answer this one. Yeah. Again, seems like uh, repeating. The Can question you repeat Kyle. the question? Repeating it. I just literally <laughs> said to repeat the question for Kyle. And then you, you started to cut me off. It, it just seems like Stan Drayton has done more in a few months recruiting wise than Rod Carey did in four years. Am I totally off base because I wish Rod Carey nothing but the worst. <laughs> I mean, so I, I, started covering recruiting for Al Scoop about a year ago this month. And I can say with absolute certainty, there was significantly less verbal recruits this time last year. 
Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the so, bad, like, tail end of it. It did not yeah, look good at this point. It did not look good. And obviously, there's, like, a ton of context to put around that as to why it was like that. But, like, just from a raw numbers perspective, yes, he is doing more. Mm. I I hate to play devil's advocate on this. I really do. But, like, we're talking about the tail end there. When you mm. look back at Rod Carey's first class like i think somebody asked this on the boards like when's the last time temple had this many verbal commits and i think i i had the number uh like rod carry's first class they had close to 20 uh, verbal commits at this point mm-hmm. and like they had 15 at the end of june uh so like they had done it because i think it's it's hard to recruit your first class but it's also easier in a sense like you have nothing on tape to deter a recruit from committing to you like, there's no recruit being like, mm, like, I want to go to Temple, but like Stan Drayton is one in four right now. Like, why would I want to do that? Like, it's like hope springs eternal in the, an extent. And like, it was such a, he's such a polar, obviously different person than Rod Carey that I feel like he might almost have a little bit of a leeway here. I will be curious what happens if they have a bad season or if they get off to a cold start. Cause like the thing that made, separated Matt Rule from a lot of other Temple recruit uh, coaches is, they bounced back from a bad first year. Like there was bad taste in people's mouths about the Matt rule regime for the first 18, 24 months of his, of his tenure. And then they, then he ends up getting NFL guys out of that. So I think it's the next step for Stan Drain, except for obviously winning games on the football field is one, keeping this class intact. And then two, that next class, if you go four and eight or five and seven or three and nine, what can you do with that class? Because if all of a sudden this next class, you follow that up with an absolute dud, then it's is what it is. It's hard to come back from that. Yeah. And I, I, I said this, I think earlier, I mean, again, we say this a million times. These are, these are recruits. We have, they haven't gotten to campus yet and played, but they are, they have kind of dipped into areas of their I mean, they, they talk about the regional footprint, but we talked about they, they've been successful getting guys from Florida, but so far, so good. Like if you were to say, how does this class look so far in terms of geography, in terms of some of the other uh, programs that are recruiting them, they, they, they at least seem to be taking the approach that guys like, like Al Golden uh, and Matt Rule and, and to a certain extent, Jeff Collins took, where like, yes, yeah, so you're going to see some guys where you say, that makes sense. And then you see a guy like a, uh, like a Preston Everhart who had no other offers. Like, yeah, we took a tip from somebody. We brought him in. He played so well at camp. We just offered him. We don't give a damn who else offered him, but you've got, you know, you've got your quarterback from Jersey. You've got, you know, you've got a Philly kid. You've got, you know, you've got some guys from Florida. Um, But Kyle makes a really good point. I mean, that, after that, that, that first season, I mean, like that, that loss to Fordham, it was like, you know, being at the stadium that day, it was like, did that was like, did that really happen thing? And Matt, you know, stood up there and took some questions. I remember, you know, love Rich, but Rich tried to end the press conference after like three or four questions post game. And then Matt said, no, 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 everybody's here to do a job. I'll stay as long as you guys need me. But he did bounce back from that again, Matt rule wasn't dealing with the portal and all that stuff. But I think there, again, if, Stan seems to be, and again, it's not anything new. He seems to be embracing that, like, we're going back to camps. We're going back to to what worked here. And he's not, again, you can't really compare him to Rod Carey. They were trying to go get guys from, like, the Chicago area or the Midwest. I think Stan knows, not that I know, maybe they've got a guy from Texas that we don't know about, but I think he kind of knows, okay, I'm not going to get, you know, uh, I'm not going to get a whole lot done in, in Texas, but. Well, I think it helps with that that San Drayton was a bit of a journeyman. So it's not like he was like, oh, I've only lived in Texas. I need to figure this out. But the difference, going back to the rule thing, is it matters how you lose. 
Like yeah. the way that Rod Carey lost for the last two years is when they lost, they lost bad. Like they they're, yes. they looked terrible on the field. They looked terrible on the sidelines. They they yeah. sounded defeated. Like it was all just yes. broken. When Matt Rule lost his first year, he lost on last second Hail Mary to UCF. Yeah. Last second touchdown from Gary Nova against Rutgers. Like they were close. They just weren't there yeah. yet. So you can sell that. Hey, you are the difference between uh, – actually, Anthony Roby getting beat against Rutgers – uh, by Gary Nova pass and us losing to our regional rival. You're the difference, Sean Chandler. You're going to come in and start day one. And guess what and happened? Sean Chandler comes in day one. And and of course, Matt Rule being a Temple guy who wanted to be there and and as opposed to a guy like Rod Carey, who was, we might have said at first, kind of almost like unfairly scrutinized, like fan base saying he's not one of ours. He's from the Midwest and turned out to not work out. But I don't know. Right. Anyway, so Pat, bottom line is Pat Egan wishes Rod Carey the worst. Dan Drayton seems to be doing a pretty solid job of recruiting so far. Any other closing thoughts here, guys? We did we we did get Sam back safely from California. We haven't even told some the the ridiculous coincidence that Sam and I discovered. I'm cool out with that. I Please. had something called a progressive dinner at my in my neighborhood last weekend, which not I had, to be not to be confused with a block party. No, because it's not. It's not the same thing. What? I know. Like I, a progressive yeah. dinner? Yeah, I'll, I'll it's explain. A bunch of progressives. Open your mouth, there. baby birds. I'll feed you. <laughs> it's, we went through it. It's, it, they've been trying, apparently they've done this 21 straight years. And by, they fortunately got delayed last year because of COVID and they had it this year. And it's supposed to be, you start off appetizers at one house, then you go to somebody else's house for the entree, then you go to somebody else's house for dessert, and you go to somebody else's house for drinks and so on and so forth. Three stages of this. I don't really know my neighbors that well. We moved in during COVID. I know like a couple of them. But this is me meeting like the other seven houses. And at some point, somebody's talking about like the history of our block or something. And they mention blah, 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 Mermelstein. Mermelstein, Mermelstein. He goes by either. I say Mermelstein. Merm, yes, he says either. And I've asked. Mermel, I say Mermelstein. Like you can just give me an answer, Merm. You don't have to say either. <laughs> you can yeah. I'm going to say Mermelstein. Uh, and then I, I mentioned, I was like, okay, that's file that away. Go throughout the day. Next day, text Sam, who's very much in the middle of his, like, I'm 22 or 23 and love in L.A. Uh, <laughs> aspect. And I go, hey, does Merm live in my neighborhood? And I go, what's your neighborhood? Blah, blah, back and forth. I get a call <laughs> from L.A. <laughs> Sam <laughs> Cone. No, 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 like, no. You get a call and the, um, the name just says L.A. That's <laughs> L.A. I get a call from L.A. <laughs> it's it was Sam. A phone. It was a payphone in L.A. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's Sam West Coast, but it's, it's Merm, and Merm's like, I, my dad. I'm, I'm. I, I hope Merm doesn't care too much about us uh, carrying out his process. He he prefaces by saying, "I'm going to blow your mind." Yeah, he's like, Kyle. I'm gonna blow. First of all, I said, "Nice to meet you." I'm going to blow your mind. I guess. Long story short, is Merm's dad used to own my house, then sold it to somebody who sold it to somebody who eventually sold it to me, and then Merm moved back into the neighborhood. But the highlight was Merm saying, uh. Uh, I was boys with Jason. I remain boys to this day with Jason. And I was like, okay, like, congrats. Like, your, your, your friend used to live in my basement. Like, this. But yeah, very interesting. Worlds colliding. And I, LA. well, first of all, I had no idea where Kyle lived. Like, apparently, I just assumed it was like generally in the direction of like where John lived. I just assumed. No. I also didn't realize no. that well, Kyle, you said you that was moved. such disdain. No. No. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's, yeah. That's empirically, it's it's true. We we don't live yeah, we live in opposite cardinal, different yeah, different yeah. different yeah. directions. Um, and I didn't realize that I 
Kyle, I learned that you had moved after Jordan was born, not yeah. prior to. But also the timeline of Kyle and I meeting each other is very strange because I joined Owl Scoop, I met Kyle, and then like a couple weeks later, he had a kid and went on maternity leave. And then, and then like, you know, a pandemic happened. Went on, and then, went on maternity. Yes. yes. Kyle so, went on maternity leave. And maternity leave. <laughs> it was a... Maternity leave is for the, the, Mr. Babe, for the mother. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> paternity leave. Whatever. The Al Scoop um, paternity package, paternity leave package. It's generous. Quite competitive. <laughs> hey, what came first, the pandemic or the paternity leave? Uh, Jordan was born January of 2020. So okay, yeah. I, I probably yeah. just, after Jordan was born, shut things yeah, down. I don't, think so I, went, I don't think I covered our game that year. My first Owl Scoop thing was covering Temple LaSalle at LaSalle in the opening of the 2019-2020 season. So I joined Owl Scoop. Which then, I wouldn't have gone to. I haven't been to Tom Golo no, no, Center I that, since I was, uh, I was John Giannini alone. walked me to the bathroom. <laughs> Good. I was that game alone. And then two months later, uh, Jordan's born. And then, so, okay, crazy timeline here. I join Al Scoop. Let's say it's November. I cover Los Alga and that was the start. In January, I a couple weeks in, I get added to the group chat. In January... One of the early versions of the group chat. Yes. Hmm. In January... Temple plays Penn at the Palestra. And I and uh, I, I will never forget this because this to me, this was the start of the pandemic. Um, Temple plays Penn at the Palestra. Josh Pierre-Louis is not playing because he's sick, quote unquote. Never really is this January? This is January 2020. Yes. January, it was right before Kobe died, I want to say. It was like the week before Kobe passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kyle texts the group chat and says... I wonder if he has, like, maybe he has the coronavirus. I said that? And I didn't want to sound stupid. I had no idea what that <laughs> meant. So I didn't say anything. But in my head, I thought you were making a joke about, like, him drinking, like, beer. <laughs> He's got the Irish flu. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what that meant, and I let it go. And then January, February, March, three months later, there's a pandemic, and everything gets shut down. And then I don't see Kyle for a very long time, but obviously, we like, we over text, but. In my mind, not to turn this into a COVID show, in my mind, the pandemic didn't really t- happen until Duke pulled out of the tournament. That was like my big, like, oh crap. Like, because Duke, before the NCAA shut down, Duke was like, we're not going. Like, we're not doing this. And I was like, oh, well, the, all this is about to come to a halt. And yeah. it did. And I went across the street into my uh, Rite Aid in North Philly because I was working for Temple at the time. And I just bought a crap ton of toilet paper and went home. And I don't think I, I, don't think I came back for three years. <laughs> <laughs> I came, when I came back to my desk, there was just like a dead cactus. And I was like, oh, yeah, I had this. I had a cactus on my desk. That's it didn't so live. <laughs> I well, thought you were starting to say there was a dead cat on your desk. I was like, oof. Dead cactus. Big difference. Big what difference. a way to close out the, the podcast. What a way to close out season eight. No, we're still in season. No, Kyle, I refuse to let season seven die. Oh, it's season <laughs> seven. <laughs> yeah. I honestly thought this was season eight. Season seven, just fades away it's the john cheney quote when i excuse me while i disappear he's seven gone <laughs> <laughs> it's a few of you doing that all right thanks for tuning in this week guys appreciate it and we will talk to you next week when kyle on there some other rare gems about the pandemic cacti and um lord knows yes. yeah. <laughs> thanks everybody we'll talk to you next week